Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. Wow, it's a packed house. How are you guys doing? Good? Awesome. Uh, don't you love the Holy Spirit? Thank you, Jesus. Are you visiting today? I hope you haven't gotten too freaked out yet. It's only going to get weirder. No, but seriously, if you're visiting, I just want to let you know that you belong here way before you ever believe. And you might be a bit confused at what's happening, but everybody that's around you's lives have been changed by the love of Jesus. And we aren't here to talk about a dead God, but to encounter a God that's actually in the room with us right now. And that's why church is exciting. If you came here just to hear a few songs and hear a message, you're really missing out. Because if you came here and didn't encounter Jesus, you came for the wrong reason. Okay, so it's a slow start. Um, I thought that was really good, but no, no, uh, 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 too late. You, you missed your chance. Yeah, thank you, thank you. They like seat you here strategically to encourage. I like that. No, but it's really good being back with presents. So see, I feel like family, like a lot of the circuit riders have become like family to me. I love you guys. Chris and the Skinners too. You guys are all amazing. I was just in worship seeing how faithful God was. Because five years ago when I was barely walking with the Lord, I moved to California. And I was with my friend and he pulled out his iPhone. He started playing this song. And it was Lindy and some guy shouting about Ekbalo. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I love this. And that was the first time I heard about Lindy, and it was Lou Ingle on the thing. And that was your EP, right? Years ago. So it's cool to see how God, how God works things together. And yeah, it's amazing. I'm excited to be here. Like Chris was saying, I'm a part of Awakening Australia and Europe. We had a crazy time in Melbourne. It was, it was amazing. One of my favorite testimonies was, we were just thinking about the event. We were like, it would be awesome to do a baptism after the stadium event. So I was like, okay, let's do it. We'll invite all the non-believers to get baptized. But we had no idea how many people would show up. I was like, let's just try it. We could rock up. There could be 10. There could be five. There could be no one. But I'll get baptized if no one shows up. So at least somebody got baptized. And we rocked up on the Monday afterwards. And it was this crazy scene of about 100 people coming to get baptized and three or 400 Christians around worshiping. So it looked just like the Jesus people movement, actually. Like there's pictures comparing the two because it looks identical. 500 people on the beach, five or six lines of people just getting baptized. And one of my favorite stories was this woman comes out to be baptized. And I just started asking about their journey because I was curious about it. And I said to her, so when did you get saved? Is this your first time receiving Jesus? And she said, yeah, it's my first time. I was like, that's amazing. How did you end up coming to the event? And she said, well, I, I came to the event last night and got saved. Um, but I was never a Christian before, but yesterday six people handed me free tickets. So when I got the seventh one, I thought I should probably go. So that shows the power of people often ask, what's the point of a stadium event? All people gathering. Well, that's the point of a stadium event is that everyone goes out and preaches the gospel. And yeah, we're seeing incredible things, but. This morning I was in my hotel room praying about, well, yesterday and this morning, I was like, God, what should I say? And sometimes God gives me this download of revelation, and that feels good, because then I walk in really confident, and I'm like, this is what I'm going to preach on. Other times, he's like, just yield to me, just surrender. And I'm like, okay, God, I'll 
I'll surrender. And that's nowhere near as comfortable because I walk in like, I have no idea what I'm going to say. But I'm going to surrender. And then during worship, it was all about fresh surrender and going all in. So I feel like God's really breathing on it this morning. That's something he was actually putting on my heart during worship too. So that's something I want to speak about. One of the things that I feel like God's given me a purpose and a call to do is actually bring back to the church what Jesus meant Christianity to actually be. And that might sound that might sound weird, but it's not redefining the wheel. It's just saying what the wheel was actually created to be, if that makes sense. I grew up in the church, and I had a completely skewed view of Christianity. My view of Christianity was I believe in God, I live like the world, but I feel bad for living like the world. That was my view of Christianity, and I hated being a Christian because of it. I went to church, though, because then I could go to heaven one day, and I'd walk out of church feeling good because I was finally right with God. I went to church. Praise God. Go and get coffee and cake with my mom and dad. The best part of Sunday was the coffee after church because I felt right with God and I got to have coffee. And, and that was honestly my, my view of Christianity was this thing of Christianity was a burden to me. So that's one of the things I like to redefine is to say, what is Christianity actually? And while I travel around the world and I share the gospel with people, I share with drug dealers and prostitutes and often their response to me is, I know I'm a Christian. And I see people around the world that are living all sorts of lives, people literally dealing drugs to 12-year-olds. I've seen someone I've been speaking to deal heroin to a 12-year-old and then tell me he's a Christian. So I feel this thing of like, what is Christianity? And the world's looking at what is Christianity actually? Is it another dead religion? Or is it actually a real relationship with a living God? And I think one of the things that we have to start out with is, do you actually believe in your heart that Christianity is a privilege? That it's not a burden? And what I mean by that is if you believe it's a privilege, you will share the gospel. And I'm not talking about being an evangelist. I'm talking about just being a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian that's not called to share the gospel. Sorry. Sorry if that ruined your morning. There's literally no such thing as a Christian that's not called to be a soul winner. That's not a Christian. Uh, you guys are like, you didn't even warm up. But that's the truth. But think about it like this. If you had a million bucks, would you feel a problem giving it to somebody else? If you had a hack to getting millions of bucks and you could give it to somebody else, you wouldn't feel burdened giving it to them, right? Because it's a privilege to introduce them to what you have. So the only reason we wouldn't want to share the gospel is because we don't yet understand that it's actually a privilege that we have. When we know it's a privilege, we actually want to share it with people. I think often we believe it's a burden because we don't yet understand righteousness. Everywhere I go, I preach righteousness because I feel like it's something in the church that some of us understand, but most of us once understood, once encountered, and then moved on to something else. We moved on to new teachings and new understandings, but I don't believe you're ever supposed to move on from righteousness. Proverbs 28.1 says, The righteous are as bold as lions. That means boldness isn't a personality type, it's an understanding of righteousness. Boldness is not a personality type, it's an understanding of righteousness. Righteousness means to be right with God. 90% of people that are brought to church are brought by someone that's been saved for less than a year. The Barner Institute actually put out that stat, 90% of people that are brought to church are brought by someone that's been saved for less than one year. Why? Because when we encounter righteousness, we want to share the gospel, but then we move on from it over time. It becomes familiar to us. 
We forget what it was like to wake up not knowing God. We forget what it was like to wake up in sin every day. So I want to encourage you today to come back to the understanding of righteousness because from that place, boldness comes. And I'm not saying that you have to work to be right with God. I'm actually saying the opposite. Coming to church today cannot make you right with God. Because I didn't, the church never died for your sins and I didn't either. Right? So coming here can't. Only Jesus can make you right with God. Only believing in Him. Reading your Bible doesn't make you right with God. Coming here this morning cannot make you right with God. Only coming to Jesus can. And Philippians 3 says this, Philippians 3, 9. It says, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Jesus did everything for you already. All you have to do is walk into it. You he established the righteousness. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is receive that you're right with God. Some of you might have come here with shame and condemnation or mistakes that you've made this past week or, or things that you can't get free of, but you don't have to fight to get free. You just have to receive what He already paid for for you. Nobody works for their Christmas present because it's a gift. The Bible says that right standing with God is a free gift. And this will offend the religious mind because we believe we have to do things to be right with God. But the reality is you have two options. Here they are. 613 laws and 10 commandments every day. Or you receive Jesus. There's actually no in between. Sometimes we think, okay, I'm going to try my 213 and the other 410 commandments Jesus can take care of. That's not how it works. Because once you break one of the 600, you broke them all. So that you wake up and you receive the fact that you're right with Jesus. And then you begin to live it out. And this isn't a license to sin. When you begin to, when you begin to believe this, you actually begin to live right with God. I believe with all my heart that a Jesus people movement is coming to Orange County. And it will start here again. But I think sometimes we're waiting for it to start instead of just becoming one of the people that will be in the movement. Does that make sense? Like, like the Jesus people movement is just a bunch of people individually living like Jesus. So what do you need for it to start? Does that make sense? Like we don't need to wait for anything. Just become one of the people that will be in the movement. Sometimes we complicate it way too much, right? If all of us were just like, I'm going to start living like a Jesus person, you'd already have a movement tomorrow. But all of us are waiting for someone else to do it so we can get behind them, which is okay. But why don't you become the person that someone else can get behind? I just want to simplify Christianity. I see a generation of Christians that have these amazing callings. But because we have these amazing callings, in a way it paralyzes us because we don't know how to get from where we are to where we're called to be. Does that make sense? And I see a generation of Christians where our calling has become an idol in our life. And this is what I mean. Where I've been even caught up in this, where I'm going to God, but actually why I'm going to God in the secret place isn't to seek God but it's actually to seek God so I can walk into my calling. 
So I'm going to him so he can do something for me. I'm reading my Bible just so I can go to my calling. I'm praying just so I can go to my calling. And I'm missing out on the best part of going to him, which is actually intimacy with him. So I just want to encourage you that if your calling's become an idol in your life, where everything you're doing, even the people you're pursuing, everything you've been caught up is trying to make your calling happen, just let it go. Because a lot of times our hunger for our calling is actually a hunger for significance. If you think when you walk into your calling, you'll be more content or feel more significant, your source is actually more on your calling than in Jesus. Are you guys with what I'm saying? Because it's how you live right now. If you aren't content right now, you won't be content when you step into your calling, I promise. I used to think, okay, when I preach in front of stadiums, then I would have, I'll be content, I'll be happy. And you know what I realized? After I speak in front of a stadium, I get back to my hotel room and it's still just me. It might feed you for like an hour, but okay, God, it's just me again. It never gets bigger than you and God. It it literally never gets more complicated than you and God alone in your room. That's what it's about, is you and intimacy with God. See, if you call to take nations, God wants you to take your next door neighbor. You know what I've noticed? People that take nations are taking their next door neighbor and neighborhoods before anybody knows about them. But we have a generation of Christians that are waiting on the couch watching Netflix saying, God, give me nations. But never touching their next door neighbor. And then we say, God, why haven't you, why haven't these words been fulfilled? But the reality is God's waiting for you to start living it out now. Because if you can live it out then when you have no significance, nobody knows who you are, your heart's in the right place because you aren't doing it for people. You're just loving your next door neighbor. You're just loving your neighborhood. Nobody knows who you are. And then God's like, okay, I can trust that person with nations. I can give that person what I want to give them. Because their heart's in the right place. Everyone I've seen that's taking nations around the world was first taking neighborhoods and next door neighbors when nobody knew who they were. I remember even for myself when I was 20 years old and I was in Reading and literally nobody knew who I was. I was just in school. I was 20 and God would say to me, hey, take that meth addict and put him on your couch. And I'd literally put homeless people on my couch. And that was the time where God grew me, but I wasn't doing it to be known or somebody could know me. I was just being obedient to God. So I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're called to do great things around the world, but if somebody tells me, hey, I'm called, I'm looking at what they're doing now to see whether that's going to take care of itself. Sometimes I think our, our callings and the things we call to which are amazing and they're true, they almost paralyze us because it's like, God, how do I get from here to there? How do I get to my calling, God? And that's what I want to speak about today. And, it, and realistically, it comes down to simple obedience. And that's why if we want to see nations change, if we want to see society transformed, it's a, it never gets more complicated than simple obedience to the Holy Spirit. Every day. If you call to see Hollywood change, it still looks like simple obedience to the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you what I mean. So let's, if you have your Bible... Acts chapter 8, as I always say, on iPhone, but if it's a Samsung, keep it in your pocket. 
This is the holy place, church. <laughs> Who needs an upgrade from Samsung's iPhone? Anyone? I'm joking. You don't need to come speak to me about it afterwards, please. Some people are very passionate after I make that joke about informing me about how good Samsung is. Come, come speak to Chris about it afterwards. He'd, he'd be happy to discuss it with you. Acts, Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So now you have Philip who's just chilling in his room. Think about this for a second. You read the Bible sometimes and we just skip over it. And it's like, oh, well, that's cool. He's literally just one day in his room relaxing. He probably has a day planned out. He's going to see friends. He's going to hang out. He might preach. I don't know what his plans were. Nobody knows. But he's just chilling one day, and an angel rocks up and is like, hey, just walk south on this road. We don't know if it showed up and he saw the angel, just heard the voice, but he just hears an angel say, walk south on this road. And then there's that awesome three words, this is desert. So they just want us to know it's complete desert, which is just a random fact. Sometimes the Bible throws in random facts. I looked it up. And it's about a hundred mile walk that he's told to walk there. So it's like this morning you were chilling in your room and God was like, hey, walk to Tijuana. Yeah, I googled it. I, I googled what was a hundred miles. I don't know about you, but my journey would have gone something like this. Someone would have been like, how's your secret place? I would have been like, it was great. God has started to speak to me about something. I'm waiting for more information. He's, he's brought me into a season of transition. I'm waiting for more understanding on what God has begun to speak to me about. I'm sure it's going to tie into my calling somehow, but, but I, he started to speak to me, right? Started. He's, he's begun to show me what I'm going to do. The craziest thing is verse 27, so he arose and went. It would take him about two or three full days to walk this distance. And the story goes on to basically somewhere along the road, we don't know where. I don't know about you, but after two or three hours of walking and not knowing why in the desert, in the sun, with nothing and no reason of walking, I'd be like, okay, God, I was obedient. I've been walking for three hours. I'm going back. I don't like hiking to begin with, let alone in the desert, not knowing why I'm walking. Because he doesn't even have a purpose what he's going to do once he gets to that city. He has no idea. He literally has no idea. And so what happens somewhere along the journey, we don't know if it's the first day, second day, or third day of him walking in the sun. A random guy rolls through in a carriage and he goes and preaches the gospel to him. And the guy ends up getting saved. And because of him getting saved, the whole of Ethiopia hears the gospel. See, but if he had been so caught up in, no, I'm not called to walk on the road, I'm called to change nations, he would have missed his calling. He would have never woken up that morning and said, okay, I'm walking south for 100 miles, I'm going to change nations. See, when you get so caught up in your calling and not just simply being obedient to God, you can actually miss out on what God's called you to do. Because he says, stop that person. You say, no, I'm called to Hollywood. But what if that person's the next Hollywood star that you just walked by? Right? So that's why it actually comes back to simple obedience. No matter what you're called to do, you're just called to simply obey the Holy Spirit. Most people that move to Hollywood, for instance, don't start in Hollywood. They move there from another city. So that means if you call to Hollywood, you can change Hollywood by just being obedient. And that's just one example, of course, of whatever you feel called to do. But it comes back to just simply 
obeying God. Simple obedience has great results with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Holy Spirit, that's too easy for Philip. All he has to do is walk south and a whole nation hears the gospel. I've put more work in than that. And not whole nations have heard the gospel. No, I'm joking, but, but it just shows you how simple it is if you can just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Each one of us are called to do that. Each one of us are called to influence all the spheres of society. Sometimes we get so caught up in the mountains of society and, and I prefer spheres over mountains because mountains implies you have to be on top to influence the society. But I want you to know too, what if you just, that person you spoke to at school was Angelina Jolie dropping off her kids, but you were just dropping off your kids at school. You can influence the whole of Hollywood just because you were obedient. Does that make sense? That's why each of us are just called to live like Jesus. And if you can do that, that's where nations are going to be impacted by the gospel. If you work in a coffee shop, I love coffee shops. People are going to come in there and you're going to serve them who could be influential. They could be businessmen. And you can build up relationship and through obedience to the Holy Spirit, you can begin to shift whole spheres of society. But we've complicated it so much that sometimes we feel called to governments. So we're waiting for President Trump to call us on the phone. Right? I'm, I'm called to government. But it's like this story, him being called to change nations and influence government, looked like him just walking on a road. The road to your destiny often doesn't look like you would think it looked. God often takes us a different way than we would think. That's why it's important to be obedient to what He's saying to us. And it's important for us to step out. Are you guys with me? Are we good? Okay, good. Thank you, Jesus. I think, like Lindy was saying in worship, there's a fresh surrender coming today. There's a fresh obedience coming today. I feel like God's calling us out onto the water, as it were. And I've been reading Matthew 14 a lot, and I love this story so much. And many of you would know that basically it's when the disciples are in the boat and the storm's raging around them. And Jesus comes, comes out towards the boat. And I love what Philip, I'm not Philip, Peter. They said it's a ghost, and verse 27 Jesus says, be of good cheer, it's I. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I think that day any one of the disciples could have walked on the water. But only the one that was hungry enough to say, God, if it's you, I want to do it. That's the one that God used. He's looking for hungry people that want to be used by him. So then he says, come onto the water. And I think often, a lot of times in the church, a lot of us want to be used by God, but we're waiting. But he, Jesus doesn't push Peter out of the boat. So Jesus calls Peter, but there's, there's a Peter has a role in the story. Are you with me? So like a lot of people are like, oh, I want to heal the sick. I'm like, okay, how many people have you prayed for? Well, three. I'm like, okay, so you must be really hungry to heal the sick. Please don't be offended. But basically... What I'm saying is this, that there was a response that was necessary from Peter to walk into what Jesus had called him to walk into. So basically, he had to get out of the boat. So a lot of us want to walk on water, but we aren't willing to get out of the boat. 
Are you with me? So Peter has to get out into the unknown, and then he begins to walk on water. See, once you put yourself in that position, that's when the Holy Spirit shows up. Once he puts himself in a position where he looks ridiculous if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, that's where he shows up. Think about if Peter gets out and he falls into the water. He looks terrible. But the Holy Spirit's called a comforter, and you don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. Okay, I'll try this side. You don't need a comforter in your comfort zone. Much better. I'll, I'll stay with this side for a while. But it's so true, if we want more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to put ourselves in positions where He can show up. When we as Christians, when, when I as a Christian stop needing faith and stop taking risk, I've entered into dead religion. When I stop taking risks and stop needing faith, I've entered into dead religion. I'm not talking about faith of just finances. Most of us go to finances. I'm talking about faith as in the Holy Spirit showing up on a daily basis for you. Are we reliant on the Holy Spirit? Do you take, are we taking risks every day? Are we putting ourselves in positions where the Holy Spirit can actually show up in our life? We are called to live in a place of needing faith and taking risks so the Holy Spirit can show up. And Peter obviously gets out in the water and he starts to fall down, and Jesus, Jesus catches him. It's actually an interesting story, because Jesus looks at Peter and says, you have little faith. How would you feel if you were one of the disciples in the boat? <laughs> I often think about that. I'm like, Peter gets rebuked. Imagine the other disciples. They'll just be looking down. Like, please don't, please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Like, <laughs> it's pretty funny. But I don't know about you. But I would rather be wet and in Jesus' arms than dry and sitting in the boat. I would rather take a risk and get rejected but have the comforter around me than wishing I had stepped out. I would rather make a mistake but be comforted by the comforter than wishing I had stepped out. I would rather be wet and in Jesus' arms than dry and sitting in the boat. You don't want to miss out on what God's doing in this region. Be the start of something in your workplace. Be the start of something in your school. God wants to use you. And He's waiting for you to just step out into a position where He can actually show up. Because me and you as Christians, we call to live just like Jesus lived. That's what I would say Christianity is. Living a life like Jesus lived. I, When I was living in Redding, California three or four years ago, I had this terrible job. I'm going to be honest. I had to wake up at 3 a.m. every day. I know. Some of you are like, people wake up before 10. People do. I had to wake up at 3 a.m. every day, ride my bike like a mile. It wasn't that far, but it was still annoying. My bike had no brakes on it either, but there was no cars out at the time, so I didn't really need brakes. You know what I mean? It literally, the brakes didn't work. But it was all downhill going there with no cars, so it was safe. And it was all backhill going up, and you don't need brakes going up hills. Amen. So it worked out, actually. But this job, I literally had to just make sandwiches and salads until like 8 a.m. and then go back to sleep. And I remember eventually I got let go from the job, or I resigned from the job, or I got fired. You choose which one you want to use. Um, 
Because what was happening is I had to make these sandwiches that were a certain length, maybe three or four inches, I can't remember, probably why I got let go, resigned, or fired. Um, so then I had to make these sandwiches, and they would give me a ruler, but at 4 a.m. in the morning, no one... No one's got time to be measuring bread, amen, especially at 4 a.m. in the morning. So I would just make one with the ruler, and then I would start cutting all the other sandwiches by the first one that I made. You know what I mean? So just like bang, bang. So eventually I got let go because they would get smaller and smaller until someone's buying a five-inch sandwich that's like one and a half inches. (laughs) But that story shows you that when you start basing your life on something that isn't that isn't the, the first example. You start to get off track. So we call to not measure our life by people around us or somebody in charge of us, but rather measure our life by Jesus. He's the standard because anybody else shall go off track. Anybody else will become a counterfeit. It'll look different. But you and I as Christians, we get the privilege to live like Jesus. We get the privilege to look like him. We get the privilege to read the Bible and then have the opportunity to live out what we're reading. A lot of people come to me sometimes and they say, Hi, how do I remember more of the Bible? I want to remember more of the Bible. The problem with that is that you aren't supposed to remember the Bible, you're supposed to live it. Yeah. A few, a few of you liked it. I'll read a verse though, because some of you were offended. So, so. This is what the Bible says, just in case you didn't believe that last statement. The Bible says this, James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word, deceiving yourself only. If anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing a natural face in a mirror, and when he goes away, he forgets what he saw. So when you come to the Word, if you just try to remember it, it's like a man that looked, went to a mirror, and then as he walked away, forgot what he saw. That's why the goal is to come to Jesus, to see Him in the Word, and to see Him in the secret place, and then to go out and try to live what, like what you just saw. Be not just a hearer of the Word, but actually a doer of the Word. I feel like Jesus is raising the standard again of what Christianity is. What you and I are called to be. We're called to read the Word and let it cut us to the heart and say, Holy Spirit, I need you more to live out what I'm reading. Because in the past, there might have been, we read a a verse that has tension in it that's hard, and we're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm skipping that, and we move on. And because of that, we've lessened what it looks like to be a Christian. And he's saying, I want you to look like I look. I want you to look like Jesus looked. He is your example. He is what it looks like to be a Christian. It's more than just coming and worshiping. It has to look like something on the outside. James 2 says this, and a lot of, you don't hear this preached in church very much. I understand why. But James 2 says this, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. It says, you, you believe there's one God, you do well, even the demons believe. That's a Bible verse, not me. Isn't that crazy? He's like, oh, you, you believe there's a God? Even the demons believe. And then he says, faith without works is dead. That's why I said, when you have faith that you're righteous, you begin to live righteous. The works have to follow what you have faith for. You have faith in Jesus, you begin to work like Jesus worked. You begin to live like Jesus lived. And I'm going to 
Can we have some keys? Danny Bryan. Danny's one of my best friends in the whole world. Everywhere I go, I travel a lot. Everywhere I go, somebody knows Danny. He's like the one person that gets name dropped the most to me. You know Danny? He's a good man. And he's single, ladies. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to... What's your Instagram handle? No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Pastor Jesse gave me permission. It's at... No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> let's be doers of the word. <laughs> I love you, bro. Okay, rain it back in. Joke's over. It's serious time. We're in church. No, no laughing. Okay, I'm going to... I'm allowed three closes as an evangelist, so this is my first one. I'm allowed more than pastors. James 1.26, it says this. These two verses, I think, we need to embrace these verses and read what it actually means. It says this, James 1.26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious, the word religious means in fear of God or to worship God. So it's not like a bad religion. It's if any among you think you're a worshiper of God or fear God, okay? And does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. So it's saying this, if anyone among you thinks he's a worshiper or, or fears God, but his actions aren't changing, his, the way he's speaking isn't changing, his life isn't changing, he's in useless religion. So what it's saying is it's more than just actions, right? And it goes on the next verse, so that's useless religion. And then James goes on to say what real religion is. And he says this, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So he's saying this pure religion is this, to care for the least of these, to love those in society that are outcasts, widows, orphans. In, in, in those days, those were the lowest of low in society were the widows and the orphans. That's why he's using that example. He's not just being specific to those. He is being specific, but it's also wider than just that. He's saying you have to care for the outcasts, the lowest of society. So he's saying it involves love. And then the other side of pure and undefiled religion is staying unspotted from the world. Not working to become unspotted from the world. Remaining unspotted. You receive righteousness and you remain unspotted from the world. But why is that important? Think about if you had a light bulb. That's giving light. You and I are called to be the light of the world. Think about if you had a light bulb and you st slowly started putting stickers over it. You slowly potted, started putting stickers over the light bulb. Over time, the light would get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until it would just, you wouldn't even be able to see it anymore in the darkness. And that's what happens when we become spotted by the world. We no longer stand out like he's called us to stand out. We start to subconsciously advance culture over his kingdom. As we become spotted by the world, we start to advance culture instead of his kingdom. And I feel that Jesus is calling us to become unspotted once again, to receive that once again, to give up compromise. He's calling a holy church. He's calling people that would give up the compromise in their life. They would say, I'm tired of living like the world. 
Maybe over time, the things you've been watching, the people you've been around, the company, you know you've become spotted, the way you think. Maybe you begin to swear or drink too much or, or that relationship you're in, you know over time you've become spotted by the world. Jesus wants to make you unspotted again today. And it simply just says, God, I want to become unspotted. I want to receive that again. I want to repent. And that's the first thing we're going to do this morning. As a family, I'm going to give you a chance to say, you know what, I want to become unspotted again. I want to stand out again. Because I would hate for you to run, see miracles, see amazing things, but be spotted on the inside, to not have contentment on the inside. Because you have hidden sin in your life, you have hidden things going on. God wants to make you unspotted. So if that's you and you feel unspotted, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. If you feel spotted, just we are family, there's no shame, just stand. Sometimes people make people close their eyes. I don't like that. We are family. There's no shame in this moment. This is a privilege right now. If you feel like that you over time, things have just spotted you, maybe the way you think, the things you've been doing, just stand right now. There's no shame in this moment. Because in an instant, He makes you unspotted. In an instant, He takes it away. All He's looking is for you to repent and turn back to Him. So right now, I just want you to begin to pray in your own words to God. Say, God, I'm sorry. Ask for, just repent for those things, those mindsets, whatever you've been doing, just repent for it right now. He loves you. He paid for you to be righteous. He paid for you to actually stand out, not fit into society. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The whole band can actually come up if that's okay. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, we don't want to be spotted. We want to be unspotted. We want to be a, we want to be a light without a cover over us, Father. We want to be a house set on a hill, Father. We want to shine in society. We want to advance your kingdom, God. We don't want to be concerned with what people think, Father. If you have hidden sin in your life, just repent right now. Just say, God, I don't want to live like that anymore. God's raising the standard. He's raising the standard of what Christianity is. That we would love people and we would be unspotted. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Move right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Okay, we can all stand up together. Jesus, we love you so much love you so much. A Jesus People movement in Orange County has already started. Would you join? <laughs> See, in this message, I want to come back in a year or whenever I come back and I want you to say that was the day that I started preaching the gospel. For me, it's not about just one good sermon. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would spark lifestyles today of soul winning. That He changes your perspective today of what Christianity is. That He simplifies your calling. God, we break off all that complicated things in our mindsets of our calling of Christianity. And we just simplify it again, God. That simple obedience changes history. That simple obedience changes history, God. We simplify what it is, Father. Like 
like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, that we wouldn't be deceived from the simplicity of the gospel. That we would just come back to loving you and loving people, God. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.